So Bible reading today is Luke 24, verse 36-52. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it was it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I tell you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stay continually at the temple, praising God. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's an intriguing claim from Jesus, especially for us living in an era where Christians seem to have a reputation of stifling life and not living it to the full. So over the past three weeks here at church, we've been exploring this life to the full that Jesus offers. We've uh, examined more of what Jesus said and did, and we've, uh, we've heard that without Jesus, none of us can have a full life. Left to ourselves, we're, we're offside with God, we've failed to treat him as we ought, but because of Jesus, because he died on the cross, there's an offer of a fresh start, an offer of new life. Which raises the question that we're looking at tonight, which is, how do I take hold of this offer of life? In other words, how do I become a Christian? Well, the first thing to say about becoming a Christian is it's not something that happens to you by accident. Uh, A Christian is someone who makes a choice. Some things do happen to us by accident, right? You wake up one morning and you've got a cold. Or you wake up one morning and you've become an Instagram sensation overnight, right? Uh, You know, things just happen uh, without our realising them. Uh, But other things are things that we make a choice about. So marriage, for example. Uh, Except in Hollywood, it's rare that you wake up one morning just to find yourself married. 
usually it's the result uh, of at least one big decision, uh, normally hundreds uh, over weeks and months of planning. Uh, that's the way of uh, relationships like marriage. And becoming a Christian is in that kind of category. It's, you don't catch it like a cold. You're not born into it. A Christian is a person who makes a choice. But of course, a choice about what? Uh, what do we need to decide on to become a Christian? Well, there are two big ideas uh, in the Bible uh, that go with uh, our response to what Jesus has done. Uh, those two things are faith and repentance. You become a Christian by putting your faith in Jesus and repenting. And we saw both of those things in the passage that was just read out to us then. Did you spot them? Uh, so if you've got your Bibles open there, have a look in verse 38. Jesus asks his disciples, why are you doubting? He wants them to believe in him, to believe their eyes that he is there risen from the dead. In verse 47, uh, Jesus says, that now that his mission is accomplished, his followers are going to go out to the nations and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Another place in the Bible where we, where we hear Jesus mention both of these things in terms of our response to him is in his opening words in the biography of Jesus' life written by Mark. Uh, Jesus says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So over the past few weeks here in church, we've been considering what that good news is that we're to believe. Uh, and now tonight we're considering our response. Uh, we're going to spend most of the rest of the time tonight thinking about faith or belief and repentance and what those should look like. Uh, so firstly, faith. Uh, faith is one of those words that's used in lots of different ways. It's sometimes a bit hard to pin down what people mean by it. Uh, people talk about having lots of faith or a little faith, wishing they had more faith. Uh, they might talk about a person being a, particularly, uh, a particular man or woman of faith. Uh, and so it can sound like maybe it's, it's a substance that you can, you can have or not have or not have enough of, or maybe it's some kind of characteristic that people are born with and other people just miss out on. I don't think either of those ideas quite capture it. So we're going to start tonight by actually thinking about what faith isn't. What faith isn't. So a, f a few things that faith isn't. The first thing is, faith isn't positive thinking. This is uh, one of the ways people talk about faith. Now this is David Fafita. Uh, he played for the Maroons in last year's Origin. Uh, and here's what he said about getting selected to play Origin last year. He said, I always believed I would get here. I have faith in myself. And Kevy Walters gave me the opportunity and I grabbed it with both hands. Uh, so he's talking about positive thinking, right? He's talking about backing himself, he's staying optimistic, he's working towards a goal. But have a look in our passage in Luke 24, have a look in verse 39 there. Is positive thinking what Jesus is looking for from the disciples where he asks them why they don't believe, why don't they have faith? No, uh, he's not, he's not uh, asking them to be optimistic about his rising from the dead. He's right there in front of them. Jesus doesn't mean positive thinking when he talks about faith. Uh, the second thing that faith isn't, 
Faith isn't just about knowing the facts. There are lots of things that we can know, uh, but that's very different than having faith in them or believing in them. Uh, You know, I know that drinking uh, eight glasses of water a day is good for me, uh, but just knowing that actually doesn't stop me from getting dehydrated. You know, I know that I need to exercise every day. I know that my body needs that. But just knowing that doesn't cause me to get fitter. Uh, The disciples, they knew that Jesus was right there in front of them. They could see him with their eyes. Uh, But Jesus was asking, why are you doubting? Why aren't you believing? Lots of people know things about Jesus, but that's very different to having faith in him. So the third thing that faith isn't, uh, faith is not a feeling or a supernatural energy Uh, So sometimes faith is described as this feeling uh, that you have, like an inspiration. Uh, Some people have it, uh, they can't really explain it, uh, but it's this feeling uh, that they feel. Or sometimes uh, they try... It's, it's like an energy that you need to tap into by some certain method. Uh, and so, but it's very hard to explain, very hard to pin down uh, what people mean. Uh, it's, it's kind of this feeling. Is that what Jesus wanted from the disciples here? Uh, I don't think so, because what he goes on to do in those verses is give them facts, give them evidence. He's trying to persuade them to have faith in him. So there's a few things that faith isn't. Uh, let's move on to what faith is. Faith, at least in the Bible, in the way that Jesus uses it, means trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. It's a three-word definition there. Now, the most important word in that definition uh, is the middle one, in. Faith in Jesus. Because faith on its own doesn't do anything uh, the only thing that the only uh, faith is only ever as good as the object, as the thing you have faith in. Let me give you an example of great faith. The year is 1859, and Jean-Francois Gravelet, uh, known to the world these days as Monsieur Charles Blondin, was walking from America to Canada across a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Uh, Of course, over a distance of 304 metres, no rope is very tight. Uh, In the middle, it sagged 18 metres below its attachment points, but Blondin put one foot in front of the other and in 17 minutes crossed Niagara Falls. Of course, the crowds numbering up to 25,000 lining the two shores were absolutely stunned. Uh, Nothing like this had ever been seen before. But the amazing thing is, uh, Blondin didn't stop there. Uh, Over his life, he crossed back and forth over Niagara Falls hundreds of times, each time with crazier variations on the crossing. Now, his second crossing over Niagara Falls was just 20 minutes after the first one. He took a little break in Canada and then crossed back over to America. Uh, But this time carrying a camera and tripod on his back. And remember, there were no smartphones in those days. He set up the tripod in the middle of... I can't even work out how, but he set up the tripod in the middle of the tightrope and took a photo of the crowd lining the gorge. So uh, over the years, he would cross over Niagara Falls on stilts. Uh, 
uh, blindfolded, with his arms shackled. One time he took a wood stove and fuel and ingredients, cooked an omelette on the, in the middle of the tightrope, and then lowered it on a plate to, a, to people on a ferry that was parked on the river below him. Can you imagine being on that ferry? Uh, so, over, so more and more variation, uh, but here's the highlight. The highlight, I think, of his career was when he carried his manager, piggyback style, across the tightrope. Now, can you believe that? That is next level, right? And don't you think that manager had faith? Don't you think he, uh, you know, I mean, Blondin's impressive, right? Uh, but for our illustration of faith, don't you think that guy had faith? But here's the thing. So he, he entrusted his life uh, to Blondin as he crossed. But he, here's the question. Was it his faith that actually got him from one side of the gorge to the other? It, when they were out in the middle of the tightrope, did it actually matter whether he had a lot or a little bit of faith? Uh, was his faith saving him at all? No, it was the guy who was carrying him walking. It wasn't his faith that saved him, it was the object that he put his faith in. Over these past weeks, we've heard from Jesus that one day we'll stand before the judge of the earth and we'll need to give an account for the life that we've lived. And Jesus has said that that our sin, the way that we've treated God, uh, the way that we've opposed him, not put him first in our lives, will be like a chasm between us and the life God intends for us. What are you trusting in to get yourself across that chasm? Because everyone trusts in something. Some people trust in a belief that there is actually no afterlife. Uh, There's no God, no judge, no heaven, no hell. So it doesn't matter what we do. It's not the same as trusting in Jesus, but it, but it is a kind of faith. Some people do believe in God, but trust in their own efforts to get them into heaven. They trust that their own good deeds will be enough to uh, impress God, outweigh the bad, maybe. And Jesus says, there is a God, there will be a judgment, but we cannot save ourselves. And instead, he pleads with us, put your faith in me. I'll carry you across through the judgment because I died for you. I've already been through. So that's faith. Trust in Jesus to rescue us from the punishment our sins deserve. What about repentance? Uh, This is the next part of your outlines, by the way. If you are taking notes, we're moving on to repentance. What does repentance mean? Well, I've got a pictorial definition for you. Repentance is what this sign is telling us to do. Have you ever seen one of those signs? I hope you haven't, or at least I hope it was only uh, in your rearview mirror. (laughs) Repentance means making a decision to turn around. It means changing our mind. Uh, And changing our minds with regards to Jesus means changing from ignoring him to interest in him. 
It means changing from opposition to obedience. But the key thing is, it's a change of mind first. When I was a student at Newcastle University, uh, I knew Jesus, I loved him, and I followed him. But I was also a very conscientious student. I loved to study. uh, And over my time at university, it became clear to me that in my mind, in my heart, I was not putting God first. Uh, And it showed itself in various ways, in decisions that I made and the way I spent my time. But I realized that Jesus was not my number one priority in life. I needed to repent. And so what I did was I changed my mind. I changed to put Jesus first in my life. Now, I still studied. Uh, Sometimes I still studied too much. Uh, But the key, the thing that I did first was to change my mind. I changed Jesus to number one. You see, it's possible that you you could know Jesus for years, but never repent. Never actually choose to stop living with yourself as number one and put Jesus in that place. And so that's why it's important to be clear not just what repentance is, but also what repentance isn't. So let's do a couple of things that repentance isn't. Firstly, repentance is not just knowing the facts. Repentance is not just about knowing the facts. It's a change of mind. So uh, Moby Dick is a famous story about Captain Ahab and his obsession to capture the elusive white whale. It's a story about how revenge and obsession can affect a person's life because Captain Ahab becomes consumed with this need to capture his nemesis, the white whale. There's a moment in the story where Captain Ahab realises his mistake, realises the toll that his obsession is taking. He's been pursuing the white whale all over the world. It's his, his mission has destroyed his crew, it's destroyed his family, and it's destroying his life. And he's at the crossroads, and he realises that right now, this day, he could turn his ship around. He could sail with the wind back home and make a fresh start, start living life again and undoing some of the damage that uh, his mission has caused him. Uh, But, spoiler alert, he doesn't make the change. Uh, It's a classic story, so, you know, you've had time to read it. Uh, He doesn't make the change, and the next day it's too late. Lots of people know facts about Jesus, but they don't want him to be their king, so they don't repent. Uh, So that's the first thing. Repentance is not just about knowing the facts. Secondly, repentance is not just about feeling sorry. Uh, So Captain Ahab knew the the toll that this was taking on his life and his crew and his family. Uh, You could be driving down the highway consumed with guilt about the danger you're putting other people in when you see that wrong way go back sign, but still you may not make the decision to turn around. Right? That's not repentant. Feeling guilty uh, is not repentance. A Christian is a person who 
makes a choice to change their mind. They've turned around from being a person who ignores Jesus to a person who, to the best of their ability, listens to him and obeys him. That's what repentance is. Now, there's a third thing that repentance is not. Uh, This one's actually a separate point in your outlines because it's so important to get right. There's a danger associated uh, with this particular uh, misconception about repentance. So here it is. The third thing repentance is not. Repentance is not fixing up your life. Repentance is not fixing up your life. We've been hearing that we need Jesus to rescue us and that we can't do it ourselves. That's been what Jesus has been telling us over these weeks. But we might be tempted to think, oh, if I put my faith in Jesus, if I repent, maybe I should start doing good deeds to kind of make it easier for Jesus to save me. Maybe I can lighten his load as he carries me across the cabin, uh, the cavern, the chasm. Maybe if I start doing lots of good things, it'll be easier for Jesus. Now, it's right to expect that repentance will have outworkings in our lives. But if we ever start to trust in anything other than Jesus to carry us through, then it could be fatal because it will actually be an insult to God's offer of forgiveness. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, Windsor Guildhall, west of London. It's a beautiful building, isn't it? Uh, It was designed by a fellow called Christopher Wren. But when it was being built, the London City Council weren't confident in Christopher Wren's design. Uh, You can see that there's this uh, veranda area out the front that's got the building on top of it. Uh, the councillors didn't feel that his design, they weren't confident it could support the weight. And so what they did is they insisted uh, that he put some pillars in this beautiful open area to support the roof. You can see it there. He designed that to be open. They said, you have to put the pillars in. What an insult to the architect that they had asked to design this building. Uh, But he he had no choice. He had to do it or they wouldn't build the building. But he actually played a trick on them uh, and he had the last laugh. In the late 19th century, when they renovated the building, they discovered that the pillars never actually reached the roof. Uh, So they were actually built short so that they never bore any weight at all. Uh, And Christopher Wren's design was proven to be uh, strong enough. The only thing those pillars ever did was insult the architect Uh, every, um, every time he rode past on his horse, I imagine. God is offering us life to the full. He's made one sufficient provision for us to be forgiven. Jesus' death in our place. And it's, it's the one and only thing that we need to trust in to get us through. And if we, if we try to place anything else alongside it, try to bolster its strength, it will only ever serve as an insult to the architect. So imagine the day that you stand before God 
And he says to you, tell me, why should I let you into heaven? Think for a moment. What will you say? If you'd be tempted to say something like, God, because I, because I tried my hardest and I... Then you've missed Jesus' point. Because your, your faith isn't in Jesus at that point. You haven't repented and made a choice to put him first. The Christian would answer something like, God, there's no reason at all that you should let me into heaven except that Jesus died in my place and I'm so grateful that he did it for me. How do you come into a relationship with God? How do you take hold of Jesus' offer of life eternal to the full? By putting your faith in Jesus and repenting. If you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time tonight, I'd like to lead you in a prayer of the kind of thing that you could say to God to tell him about that. Uh, But before I do, you might want a little bit of time to reflect. Have a look at this video. Uh, It goes for a couple of minutes that I think really captures well the idea of the fresh start that God is offering us. So take a look at the video and I'll come back and close up in a second. You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Complex. Every day, I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, slowly dying so you looked for other things to fill the void but nothing works it just kills you faster and it separates us more and more sinned. I can't 
so many sins, and they have a cost. Someone has to die. You or me. So I took on your sin and traded in my life for yours. follow me so on the one hand repentance and faith in jesus or on the other hand keep going your own way ignore jesus and face him in eternity it may be that tonight you'd like to make a fresh start with god to accept his offer of a pardon and i want to give you the opportunity to do that right now uh, I'm going to pray a prayer that you might like to say to God. Uh, and he, here's what I'm going to say. Let's just have a look at it on the screen. Uh, so I want to say, Lord God, I'm sorry that I've ignored you and lived with myself as king. God, I'm putting my faith in Jesus tonight. Thank you that he died for me. Please forgive me because of his death in my place. God, I repent and I want to change direction. Please help me to live the life that you've created me to live with Jesus as my King. Is that the kind of thing that you'd like to say to God tonight? In a moment, let's all close our eyes and pray together. Uh, and if you want to say this to God tonight, then just echo the words silently in your head. God will hear you, and you can make a fresh start with him tonight. Let's all close our eyes and I'll pray. Lord God, I'm sorry that I've ignored you and I've lived with myself as king. God, I'm putting my faith in Jesus tonight. Thank you that he died for me. Please forgive me because of his death in my place. God, I repent and want to change direction. Please help me to live the life that you've created me to live with Jesus as my King. Amen. Well, if you've put your faith in Jesus for the first time tonight, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Come and chat to me afterwards. Uh, we'd love to help you as a church, uh, and you can make a note of it on those little feedback slips in your outlines as well. If you've still got more questions, if you're still unsure, I'd love to 
I'd love to chat to you as well. Uh, and again, if you want to make a note of that on those feedback slips, uh, we as a church can get in touch and help you out. And we'll be collecting those in a few minutes after we sing. <laughs>